Chapter Thirty Nine of Bunyip Land. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bunyip Land by George Manville Finn. Chapter Thirty Nine How We Took a Last Look Round and Found It Was Time to Go. That next evening seemed as if it would never come, and I lay tossing feverishly from side to side, vainly trying to obtain the rest my friend recommended. At last, though, the time came, and we were making our final preparations, when the doctor decided that we would just take a look round first by way of a scout. It was fortunate that we did, for just as it was growing dusk, after a good look round, we were about to cross the rivulet and go through the cavern and up the rift back into camp when I caught the doctor's arm without a word. He started and looked in the same direction as I did, which was right down the gully, and saw what had taken my attention, namely the stooping bodies of a couple of blacks hurrying away through the bushes at a pretty good rate. The doctor clapped his piece to his shoulder, then dropped it once more. No, he said. I might kill one, but the other would bear the news. Fortunately, they are going the other way, and not ours. Quick, my lad, let's get back to camp and start. And they'll come back with a lot of their warriors to attack us tonight and find us gone. And while they are gone, Joe, we will attack their place and carry off our prize. If only we could, I cried fervently. No ifs, Joe, he said, smiling. We will. It did not take us many minutes to reach the mouth of the cave, and as we entered I looked round again to catch sight of another black figure crouching far up the opposite bank at the foot of a great tree. I did not speak, for it was better that the black should not think he had been seen, so followed the doctor into the cave, climbed the rift with him, and found all was ready for the start. "'Black fellow all bout over their way,' said Jimmy to me in a whisper. "'How do you know?' I said quickly. "'Jimmy smell em, he replied seriously. "'Jimmy go look bout, smell em, black fellow, one eye peeping round em trees.' Yes, we have seen them too, I said, and signing him to follow, I found the doctor. The sooner we are off, the better, he said. Now, Mr. Francis, do you think you can lead us to the other side of the village, round by the north? The enemy are on the watch. Mr. Francis turned his head without a word, and, leaning upon a stout stick, started at once, and we followed in silence, just as the stars were coming out. It seemed very strange calling this savage-looking being Mr. Francis, but when talking with him during his recovery from his wound, one only needed to turn one's head to seem to be in conversation with a man who had never been from his civilized fellows. He went steadily on, the doctor next, and I followed the doctor. The rest of our little party, gliding silently through the forest for quite three hours, when Mr. Francis stopped, and it was decided to rest and refresh ourselves a little 
before proceeding farther. The doctor had settled to leave Mr. Francis here, but he quietly objected to this. No, he said, you want my help more now than ever. I am weak, but I can take you right to the hut where Carstairs is kept a prisoner. If you go alone, you will lose time, and your expedition may... He stopped short and lay down upon the earth for a few minutes, during which the doctor remained undecided. At last he bent down and whispered a few words to his patient, who immediately rose. Orders were then given to the blacks, who were to stay under the command of Jack Penny, and, followed by Jimmy, and leaving the rest of our party in the shade of an enormous tree, we set off once more. The excitement made the distance seem so short that I was astounded when a low murmur told us that we were close to the village, and stepping more cautiously, we were soon close up behind a great hut. This is the place, whispered Mr. Francis. He is kept prisoner here, or else at the great hut on the other side. Hist! I'll creep forward and listen. He went down in a stooping position and disappeared, leaving us listening to the continuous talk of evidently a numerous party of the savages, and so like did it all seem to the last time that no time might have elapsed since we crouched there, breathing heavily with excitement in the shade of the great trees that came up close to the huts. It was a painful time, for it seemed that all our schemes had been in vain, and that we might as well give up our task, unless we could come up with so strong a body of followers that we could make a bold attack. I whispered once or twice to the doctor, but he laid his hand upon my lips. I turned to Jimmy, but he had crouched down and was resting himself, according to his habit. And so quite an hour passed away before we were aware by a slight rustle that Mr. Francis was back, looming up out of the darkness like some giant, so strangely did the obscurity distort everything near at hand. Here, he said in a low voice, and bending down we all listened to his words, which came feebly, consequent upon his exertions. I have been to the far hut, and he is not there, he whispered. I came back to this and crept in unobserved. They are all talking about an expedition that's gone off to the back of the cave, to destroy us. Carstairs is in there, bound hand and foot. My poor father, I moaned. I spoke to him and told him help was near, continued Mr. Francis, and then he muttered something in the savage's tongue and then broke down and began to sob. Take no notice, the doctor whispered to me as I stood trembling there, feeling as I did that I was only a few yards from him we had come to save, and who was lying bound there, waiting for the help that seemed as if it would never come. The doctor realized my feelings, for he came a little closer and pressed my hand. Don't be downhearted, my lad, he whispered. We are a long way nearer to our journey's end than when we started. Yes, I said, but, but, nonsense, boy. Why, we've found your father. We know where he is. 
and if we can't get him away by stratagem, we'll go to another tribe of the blacks, make friends with them, and get them to fight on our side. Nonsense, doctor, I said bitterly. You are only saying this to comfort me. To get you to act like a man, he said sharply. Shame upon you for being so ready to give up in face of a few obstacles. I felt that the rebuke was deserved, and drew in my breath, trying to nerve myself to bear this new disappointment, and to set my brain at work scheming. It seemed to grow darker just then, the stars fading out behind the thick veil of clouds, and creeping nearer to the doctor I sat down beside where he knelt, listening to the incessant talking of the savages. We were not above a half a dozen yards from the back of the great hut, and now rising into quite an angry shout, now descending into a low buzz, the talk, talk, talk went on, as if they were saying the same things over and over again. I thought of my own captivity, of the way in which Jip had come to me in the night, and wondered whether it would be possible to cut away a portion of the palm-leaf wall of the hut, and so get to the prisoner. And all this while the talking went on, rising and falling, till it seemed almost maddening to hear. We must have waited there quite a couple of hours, and still there was no change. Though we could not see anything for the hut in front of us, we could tell that there was a good deal of excitement in the village, consequent, the doctor whispered, upon the absence of a number of the blacks on the expedition against us. At last he crept from me to speak to Mr. Francis. It is of no use to stay longer, I'm afraid, my lad, he whispered, unless we wait and see whether the hut is left empty when the expedition party comes back, though I fear they will not come back until morning. What are you going to do then, I said? Ask Francis to suggest a better hiding place for us, where we can go tonight and wait for another opportunity. I sighed, for I was weary of waiting for opportunities. Fast asleep, poor fellow, he whispered, coming back so silently that he startled me. Where's the black? I turned sharply to where Jimmy had been curled up, but he was gone. I crept a little way in two or three directions, but he was not with us, and I said so. How dare he go, the doctor said, angrily. He will ruin our plans. Well, what's that? Jip, I said, as the dog crept up to us and thrust his head against my hand. Jack Penny is getting anxious. It is a signal for us to come back. How do you know? We agreed upon it, I said. He was to send the dog in search of us if we did not join him in two hours, and if we were in trouble, I was either to tie something to his collar or take it off. Do neither, said the doctor, quietly. Look, they are lighting a fire. The others must have come back. I turned and saw a faint glow away over the right corner of the hut, and then there was a shout and the shrill cries of some women and children. In a moment there was a tremendous excitement in the hut before us, the savages swarming out like angry bees, and almost at the same moment the whole shape of the great long hut stood out against the sky. 
The village is on fire, whispered the doctor. Back, my boy. Francis, quick. He shook the sleeping man, whom all at once I could see, and he rose rather feebly. Then we backed slowly, more and more, in amongst the trees, seeing now that one of the light palm-leaf and bamboo huts was blazing furiously, and that another had caught fire, throwing up the cluster of slight buildings into clear relief, while as we backed further and further in amongst the trees we could see the blacks, men, women, and children, running to and fro as if wild. Now would be the time, said the doctor. We might take advantage of the confusion and get your father away. Yes, I cried excitedly. I'm ready. Stop for your lives, said a voice at our elbow, and turning, I saw Mr. Francis with his swarthy face lit up by the fire. You could not get near the hut now without being seen. If you had acted at the moment the alarm began, you might have succeeded. It is now too late. No, no, I cried. Let us try. It is too late, I say, cried Mr. Francis firmly. The village is on fire and the blacks must see you. If you're taken now, you will be killed without mercy. We must risk it, I said excitedly, stepping forward. And your father, too. I recoiled, shuddering. We must get away to a place of safety, hide for a few days, and then try again. I shall be stronger, perhaps, then, and can help. It is right, said the doctor calmly. Come, Joe, patience. I saw that he was right, for the fire was leaping from hut to hut, and there was a glow that lit up the forest far and wide. Had anyone come near, we must have been seen, but the savages were all apparently congregated near the burning huts, while the great sparks and flakes of fire rose up and floated far away above the trees, glittering like stars in the ruddy glow. Go on, then, I said, with a groan of disappointment, and Mr. Francis took the lead once more, and the doctor following, I was last. But, Jimmy, I said, we must not leave him behind. He will find us, said the doctor. Come along. There was nothing for me to do but obey, so I followed reluctantly, the glow from the burning village being so great that the branches on the trees stood up clearly before us, and we had no difficulty in going on. I followed more reluctantly when I remembered Jip, and chirruped to him, expecting to find him at my heels, but he was not there. He has gone on in front, I thought, and once more I tramped wearily on, when there was a rush and a bound, and Jip leaped up at me, catching my jacket in his teeth and shaking it hard. End of chapter 39 How We Took a Last Look Round and Found That It Was Time to Go